Playing with Velvet Tom. And now, your host, with really bad timing, Velvet Tom. Good morning, good evening, good afternoon, good that you're listening to this. This is Bad Timing with Velvet Tom. I'm your host, lover, loser, and legend, Velvet Tom. Welcome to episode 13, Lucky 13. The conversation you're about to listen to was recorded on Friday the 13th, and my lucky guest is recording artist and actor Patrick Barnett. Pat's a good friend of mine. I've known him for about three years now. We're part of Singer's Row over at the Dresden, which is just basically the cue to wait to get up and sing with Marty and Elaine on Tuesday open mic night. It's been a great time getting to know him and so many other wonderful, wonderful artists that uh, peruse the Dresden. And we're going to be listening to those folks, future interviews coming. But Pat's story is great. He's got a lot of great acting stories. I think you're going to be really happy with what you hear. So stay tuned in. Uh, Velveteers, I see you out there. My fan base, I love yous. Velvetom recognizes you and for you and new fans who haven't visited the website yet open up a new browser tab and go to velvettom.com that's all things velvet tom the official website of me lover loser and legend you can listen to the latest episode of bad timing from the homepage. you can also get booking information i've already done a social distancing birthday party for a lovely lady that was 70 years young i did a virtual political rally back in back in September. So Velvet Tom is booking the gigs. So get on it because I know there's going to be some virtual holiday extravaganza. You're going to need me, Velvet Tom, for us to do that. Also, while you're at the website, you can visit my social media. You can go to my Facebook fan page and like that. You can go to my Instagram and my Twitter or you can subscribe to my YouTube page. Oh my God, I would love for you to have your eyeballs all over my junk and maybe some other body parts. So become a subscriber, like my Facebook fan page, immerse yourself in Velvet. And if you love what you hear and you'd like to donate to the show and to me, Velvet Tom, you can do so through Venmo. That's at Velvet-Tom on the old Venmo app. Send me a donation. I might even read your name on the air if you do. On the air. <laughs> on the air. Like this is radio. This is radio, folks. Oh, boy. You know what? I just get caught up in the moment sometimes, and I love doing this. Uh, the world is crazy right now. Of course, COVID is spiking. You got a pretty despondent president who just refuses to accept the outcome of this election. Huge rallies in his favor, but we'll see how many people gather for that. I don't know. I mean, people on the streets make it look like a lot, but we'll see what those numbers are. Hopefully, uh, cooler and saner heads prevail. But speaking of cooler heads, you have to tune in. Stay on this episode because Pat is great. Happy to call him a friend. So please listen to this episode with my friend, Patrick Barnett. Cold, man. Chilly at night, man. Chilly here in LA at night. It's something, man. I mean, once you live here after a while, your your bones really take a take a beating. Total, 
I can feel it. I can, I can feel all my arthritis. Too young. Yeah, no, man. Tell me about it. You can, you can feel, you can feel certain, you know, joints that, you know, you, I feel like the Tin Man some mornings, like. I just feel like popcorn walking, you know. I mean, I'm just feeling like every time I walk, it just pop, crack. You know, my rib cage is this crackling something in my shoulder. I'll turn my head and just four vertebrae in my middle back will just go boop, boop, boop. <laughs> I like that. That's a good one. Boop, 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 boop. <laughs> I've heard um, it. Too. Are we, um, so this is just all pre-on. We're not rolling. Oh, no. We've been rolling for a little while. So I'm going to. I'm going to cut all the, I'll cut all the uh, stuff that we're not supposed to talk about. Okay, you'll cut. Right, right, you'll cut. Sure. Got it. Copy that. Sure. But I like to, yeah, I mean, if I can take it off the front, that's great. But I like to just try and just do it. On so you it. do a little editing, a little editing. Little, little bit. I mean, I don't get too much into it. I mean, as you've heard the episode, you know, I got a little opener, got a little, uh, the interview, a little closer, and then that's it. You know, just try and structure it pretty easily and it's great it's bad timing because the plague has been bad timing for everybody you know everybody had a yeah, bigger brighter outlook of 2020 and boy did it really come into focus <laughs> so it's just kind of it's um but but we'll i guess we'll do with it what we will you know it's just uh, yeah yeah just kind of stay in touch and we had some of those um some of those um zoom like you know what we're doing now like zoom meetings with some of the people from the dresden early on which was cool to catch you know, yeah that was good cool to see everybody and um like i said i've you know seen jazz pursing a few times she's doing well jazz we'll get her on here i'll talk to you yeah jazz. for sure she's she's the coolest she really is she's the coolest she's got a great head on her shoulders she does she's super crazy intelligent and uh just one of you know super super gifted writer so uh you know what let's get into it let's talk about recording artist patrick barnett i just listened to your album that came out a year ago and then i noticed that you you got some you got multiple albums like how how like you recorded some stuff man yeah, yeah. i recorded a yeah man thanks man um i recorded uh yeah it's two albums now so the first album is uh <laughs> Um, first album is um, um, we did like almost 20 years ago when the time is right called and that was a trio record um, with um, phenomenal trio like musician wise uh, we had one of the great one so blessed to have these guys um, some heavyweights uh, Tamir Handelman on piano Christoph Ludi on bass and uh, Dean Koba on drums and uh, these guys have played with everybody man uh, but in any event, so we did that about 20, yeah, about 01, almost coming up on 20 years ago. So, of course, I was around 12 when we recorded that. <laughs> That's right. Exactly. I swear to God, I mean, it could have been five years ago. I mean, just looking at the artwork, I mean. Uh, well. You're ageless, really. Yeah, I mean. you, dude, you, you're very kind. It's, cool age. Uh, it's, all, it's, all in the, it's all in the lighting and all in the. Uh, <laughs> all in the Photoshop. But in any event, I appreciate it. Um, but yeah, so we did that 20 years ago and my, actually the gentleman who produced that was my mentor and a, a musical, sort of a musical titan here in Los Angeles, a really very well-known songwriter named Howlett Smith, who, uh, very 
sadly left us in the fall last a year ago. So oh. how it's passed on. So, you know, that, that first album has taken on sort of a whole new meaning now, now that he's gone. But um, in any event, he was very, uh, very big inf- influence on me as a singer and, uh, and as a, as a performer. So, um, I worked with him for like 20 years and we sang together a lot. And he was really beautiful soul. And, uh, so, uh, miss him terribly, but anyway, so, uh, that was the first record that was, uh, L1 that Howard produced and we did four of his original songs on that. And then, um, uh, and then Sway is the big band record that we did. Uh, we recorded that almost two years ago, but, came out last year so um yeah so that's that's the second one Sway. uh was it always uh is singing something you discovered later or did it work in concert with acting or have you always been a singer has that always been the first thing um it's a great question um i i have to say that singing was probably the first thing because i mean i remember if i could really think back the first thing i was doing was singing from a young age like maybe for you know as long as i could you know as soon as i started talking i probably started to sing so um yeah and where were you doing that where are you from i'm from new jersey you're from new jersey i'm from okay. new jersey yeah, i'm from new jersey you're from kansas city right i'm from kansas city i didn't know if you were from the east coast or not i thought it was yeah, Detroit. i love kansas city been there twice now i love that very cool city yeah um but yeah, I'm from New Jersey. I grew up in a town called Maplewood, New Jersey. And I was from, I'm from, I was born in Jersey City, which is right next to Hoboken, which is where Sinatra's from. Yeah. And you know Jersey City, because it's right across the Hudson from New York City. So my whole family, my grandparents are from there, raised in the suburbs in Maplewood. And uh, yeah, so, um, you know, my grandfather was a singer. You know, he was a, you know, he had a job at a bank, but he was, a, he played the ukulele. And um, he was a really very artistic man. You know, he was he was a painter. He went to art school when he was fourteen. So I have a couple of pieces in my apartment of his paintings and stuff. So he was, you know, he's a painter and he was also a singer and a, and a championship dancer. He won back in the '30s. He would we would dance at Roseland, Roseland in New York, and he would he would win like cups for the tango. So he was get out. Yeah, it was incredible. Like, yeah, and my brother actually, yeah, my grandfather's very artistic guy. And uh, anyway, so yeah, so when we were little kids, you know, he would, he would come by the house and he'd bring the ukulele and he'd sing to us. So, you know, that was like where I, you know, I was growing up and listening to rock and roll and all that stuff, you know, listening to you know, my brothers, my brothers, my older brothers, Rich and Dave, and my older brother, Chris, um, I'm one of four. My brothers had this amazing, you know, collection of records. Uh, so everything from, you know, everything from Zeppelin to The Who to Elton John to The Cars to The Police and a little bit of Elvis and Chicago and you name it. So, but when we were very young, my grandfather would like come over and play like, you know, little standards like Me and My Shadow and Bye Bye Blue and uh, Bill Bailey. Bill Bailey. So my you know so we were when we did sway i just always wanted to record bill bailey for my grandfather because it was one of the first songs i ever learned as a kid and um actually he actually taught me the chords to it on the on the ukulele so um so there's a tie in there so as a tribute to my grandfather you you know bill bailey 
which we did. But uh, yeah, so he would come by and, you know, it just, they were very uh, great times, like golden memories and, uh, you know, sitting in the living room and, you know, he'd be kind of playing for us. And I even brought him when I was in sixth grade, he brought, brought, brought my grandfather, grandfather to um, show and tell. <laughs> brought him to show and tell and you, 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 would, you, would, you would have thought maybe a beetle walked in. Uh -huh. He was entertaining the kids that were going bananas, mm, great. bananas. But anyway, so um, yeah, so that's where you know started. Went to college there, Pennsylvania University of Scranton, and started singing. Um, I was always singing, you know, just always singing. And then, but I always, and I'm not sure about you, and we could talk about this. Um, sure. I'd love to hear about you know where you got the inspiration from, but. Um, yeah, I mean, you know, movies were such a big part of my life growing up, as I'm sure they were for you. I mean, mm -hmm. you know, you know, movies like you know Star Wars and Jaws and and those films that those films that I saw in the '70s and you know Close Encounters of the Third Kind and, and films yeah. like that. So those films, um, yes, and I, I think there was always sort of gravitational pull for me to the West Coast. Um, and, you know, when I went to college. Um, <laughs> At the high school, I was in a band, rock band, called Entropy. And we did everything from Van Halen to Neil Young to The Doors. And uh, yes, I just always loved music, all kinds of music, but mainly rock and roll at that point. But I was always a huge Bobby Darren fan. Uh -huh. So even like, I just loved that kind of the style and the swing that he had. So even when I was like listening to rock and roll, every, anytime I'd hurt your Mac the Knife or... <clears throat> And this is even before I got into Dean Martin or Frank Sinatra. It was just mm -hmm. because I just think he was the coolest. Such style, such swagger, and he sang such great songs like, you know, um, Your Dream Lover to Splish Splash. I always dug Splish Splash. <laughs> but, um, yeah, you know, Mac the Knife and Beyond the Sea, all those standards. But um, so, yeah, so um, that's where, you know, that's where it pretty much started. And then, <clears throat> and then I had an uncle, um, a couple of, uncles that were very sort of um, important figures in my life, one of whom was a uh, <clears throat> was in L.A. working in the film business. So I was always kind of fascinated with Los Angeles just as a so, sort of as a place. And I uh, came here when I was um, with a buddy of mine, his family, when I was uh, 17 on a vacation. And um, yeah, so I was always kind of the pull to, to L.A. and the entertainment business. And um, went to college and I started doing some musicals and I, I got into, I, I got into, um, I did some musicals in college and then I was like, you know, I don't want to be an actor. And so I, I really didn't have any designs on singing at that time. So I moved, I moved here just to act. Mm -hmm. And, um, but I think what happened was in the early nineties, but I think what happened was when my grandfather passed, um, it was kind of one of those moments where I was like, you know what, like, I know I can do this. Like it's one of those things where I knew I could sing because I had been singing in bands and things. Not to, you know, not to sort of sound self-aggrandizing, you know. But that's what all this is about, man. Aggrandize away. <laughs> aggrandize away. Yeah. You know what? That's a great bumper sticker. Aggrandize away. But no, it's one of those things that you know. I, I had a friend of mine who was a jazz singer. <laughs> And she, you know, she said, well, you know, you're an actor, you know, you're an actor, you know, you should, you're also, you, should, you know, I, we'd hang out and we'd listen to Chet Baker and 
Tony Bennett and just different people. And she said, well, you know, you should be able to, you know, you're, already, you're also a singer. She said, so why limit yourself? She said, you know, if you're at a party, you got, you, you got to have three tunes that you can get up and just deliver. <laughs> nice. This is even before I just started, you know, decided to pursue singing. So <clears throat> I started doing that and I was like, well, let's, so my grandfather passed in the early nineties. And I thought at that moment, I thought, you know what, this is, if I don't do something with this on some level, whatever level it might be, but if I don't uh -huh. do something with this, then I'm not sort of, um, it's in the family. And I'd like to, you know, I should keep this legacy going mm -hmm. in, in whatever form. Um, so, yeah. And I just thought, you know, my, my grandfather would want me to be singing because he was a singer. And, uh, and I thought, you know what, like, I'm going to do it. So I started studying with her and, and then I started sitting in at Bob Burns at Santa Monica with Matt Howlett, who was my, you know, mentor and dear friend. And I uh, started sitting in with him and it was, you know, I was pretty young at the time. I mean, I was, you know, like 24, 25. So I started sing, sitting in and Bob Burns at Santa Monica, you know, Thelonious Monk's bass player was on the bass. It was crazy hand. And, uh, you know, and then I short, shortly thereafter, I met Marty and Elaine. I met Marty and Elaine right around the same time, like maybe a year later, and I started sitting in with them. And they, you know, they're amazing. And, um, um, you know, just inspirational figures, you know, like, you know, it's, it's funny. I'm sure you probably feel the same way. Oh. You know, they, Marty and Elaine feel like family, right? They're family. Uh, they were characters and swingers that I never thought that I'd ever meet or that I'd ever know on right. any level, right. really. So, wow. yeah. I am grateful. I'm so grateful to like know them, you know, I, I would oh. probably say that they, they are a flat inspiration of what, what Velvet Tom has, has become. They, they are the most recent inspiration of it. I mean, after seeing that movie in the nineties, Velvet Tom probably came around about three years later for me. That's when I started like 1990. That's when the whole idea came to you like three that's years. when that's when the name came to me that's when that's when a six-year-old kid gave me the name velvet tom that's <laughs> i love it but i mean it's so it's so unique man and it's so i mean it's and it's funny because you know i've been hanging out there for a couple of decades now but i mean it's sort of like and i remember like the whole scene and you know you mentioned swingers and i remember i remember standing with marty and elaine on the side in 1994, I think it was 94, and Elaine said to me, she goes, Pat, we're going we're to be in a movie. We're going to be in a movie. And I said, oh, I said, Elaine, that's, that's fantastic. I said, what's the, what's the movie about? She goes, well, it's called Swingers. And our friend John Favreau is going to direct it. And I'll, I'll never forget, we were standing right outside the kitchen, right on the side there. And she said, yeah, we're going to film here next month, and we're going to be in it. And I remember before it happened, and I remember Swingers hit. And I remember, you know, lines. I remember, I remember there were lines to get in the Dresden room. There were, there were, there was, you know, a line, you know, 10, 20 deep to get in. And, you know, people would get mad because I've been going there. So the, you know, the bouncers knew me. So they just waved me in. <laughs> not, not, not to. Membership like has it, privileges. It was one of those things because I knew them and they were like, you know, come on in. You really work here, even though I didn't. But, but in any event, um, yeah, so that's so cool, man. And, 
I'll never forget when that movie came out and and how that whole the whole like Los Feliz, the Derby, yeah, the three the clubs. Um, there was um, the place on Coanga, um, Daddy's, and there was there was a whole dance like swing craze that hit. Yeah, quite and a all the swing dancers would come in, so it was sort of like you get the whole swing crew that would roll into the Dresden room after the Derby closed. So it was like, it was like this crazy kind of cool, fun, cold, cultural thing that was happening in, in that area in LA after that movie. So it was really, it was, su it was super exciting. And that's really cool to know that that movie inspired you to create that character, which is an awesome character, by the way, dude, because you were built Velvet Tom was built and designed for the Dresden room. Uh, I, I didn't ever think, here's the timeline is that I lived in the neighborhood for a long time before my friend Scott took me over there yeah. on open mic night. And like, he was like, I'll get you up because I like had no, there was like no real intention for me, but he was like, no, put on the velvet. I'll, I'll be your manager. I'll talk to Marty and get you up. I mean, it was, he kind of was like, it was just sort of. You know, being he was like a broker. He was. He was like totally brokering, getting me up, and and uh, he was like, "We'll sit in the booth over here and everything." And then yeah. once I got up a couple of times, it was great. And then I got up and sang "That's Life," and I flubbed the lyrics hard. And at the end, at the uh, at the end of that, uh, Marty came up to me, patted me on the back, and he was like. Learn those lyrics. See you next week. <laughs> so I was like, I knew, I knew that they well, were dude, okay. He's, he's telling you to learn lyrics and see you next week. <laughs> that means, you know what that means? That means you're in. Yeah. That means you're in, buddy. Because I remember the first time I sang at the Dresden Room. Probably 93, maybe? Yeah. 93. Dating myself. Like I said, I was, it was, no. I was, I was, you know, I was really a, a, a an older looking teenager when I went in there, I'm teasing. <laughs> but, no, but no, but my point is that, yeah, so when I first went in there, um, I sat in and I sang one song, and I think it was like maybe Under My Skin or But Not For Me, something like that. And all of a sudden I felt this, I felt something hit the back of my leg, my, my calf. I heard this like this stinging sensation in my calf. And I, I turned around and he, he had hit me with a drumstick. And he said, hey, kid, you want a booking? <laughs> and it was, it was literally like the first time I'd ever sung there. And he, he said, you want a booking? So I, I'm like, I love one. So it was my first like show in Los Angeles that was not sitting in. <clears throat> so yeah, so it's kind of like him saying, you learn your lyrics, see you next week. He wanted you back. Same thing. I kept on coming back. I mean, there were some times where I just didn't feel like coming back, but you know, it just. Well, you know what, man? I'm glad like it I did. said, you were uh, you were made for the Dresden Room, buddy. And uh, Velvet Tom. You know, I think about like when I think about you, the, you and the character of Velvet Tom, and I think about kind of what he conjures up, and, and like it said, it it kind of makes me think about like that the mid nineties and the, the jump, you know, the, the, uh, the swing craze and all the, all the characters. And there was actually a, a singer that I, I may have mentioned this guy to you. His, his name was um, Joey Vega. Do you, remember, do you remember hearing about Joey Vega? 
I know the name. Okay, I think. All right. So he was a he was he was kind of a bit of a cultural a bit of a a bit of a cult figure, sort of in in L.A. and the and the lounges and like you know probably the eighties and nineties. But he was an older gentleman. I'm sure I he's gone now. But he would show up to the Dresden room in a powder blue tuxedo. And, you know, what a cool name, Joey Vega. And he, he would sing like, how about you? But I mean, like, talk about like this crazy, quirky manifestation of like the lounge culture, right? Mm -hmm. you know I mean, it's like a powder blue tuxedo. And so when I think about like, I think about characters like him, I think about Velvet Tom, it was kind of a similar kind of sensibility, a similar kind of a thing. But yeah, Joey Vega was, he was happening. You know, I, he passed away probably, probably late nineties, but he came in all the time and he, he was, he was a really good singer, you know? I'm going to have to look something up. He was like one of those figures, like Dresden yeah. figures that loom large. I think that that's important. I really like the local figures around here. I mean, obviously, uh, Marty and Elaine are those, are those local figures as well. Probably some of the last, you know, uh, you could probably talk about if there are some over in the valley that uh, that you've uh, that you've ever encountered. There's a couple of other places that I know you guys go and sing. I usually don't go too out of the neighborhood. I'll go over to a gardenia once in a while. Of course, we're talking like these places are open right now, but when they open, that's right. <laughs> usually probably what I'll hit. Um, but I uh, this all also came about because you talk about the movies. I mean, you you give basically the good top three of Spielberg's movies that inspired you. And definitely that coupled with the music of John Williams is kind of what got the ball rolling for me to come oh, out really? and play too. Because wow. I'm still constantly surprised. You know, I live in the Los Feliz Hollywood area, walking around and seeing things that I saw in a movie in the 80s. Like this place has pretty, is, is still a time capsule. I mean, despite all the new building around here, there are still some old things that you recognize in a movie. And TV, cable TV, a lot right. of that was for me, but like right. Nick the Lounge Singer or Tony Clifton. Yeah. Or, um, oh God, Sonny Mann was a character. He's a lounge singing character on the TV show, It's a Living. So, Growing up, I just kept on seeing the lounge character as as a character in there and gravitated. It's timeless. It's, timeless. it's it's classic and it's timeless. You know, it's just um, which is pretty redundant. But kind uh, of a, kind of a court gesture and court jester in a way. You know, he's sort of the modern. You know, takes all the punches but sings all the songs. Yeah. Yeah, no, I think that's 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 a great way to describe it. I actually did um, speaking about the whole lounge kind of vibe sensibility. I did um, I did a show about fifteen years ago um, called Shag with a Twist, and it was um, a friend of mine who's a composer named Chris Lang um, and another phenomenal composer named Caesar Benitez. Um, they wrote the score to this musical. It was a dance musical which you, you would have gotten a kick out of. It was a, um, a murder mystery at a Tupperware party. <laughs> and what it was, was Sh okay. Shag is a, a, a Southern California artist. His real name is Josh Agle. But 
he he's a Southern California artist and he depicts sort of mid-century modern kind of mod cool sort of tiki settings so you know lots of guys in velvet jackets and well-dressed and with martinis and cocktail parties and things like that. So it sort of celebrates the cocktail culture of mid-century modernism and all that. And he's a huge Southern California, California artist. And so this was a dance musical with all these different characters. And um, I was kind of like the Dean Martin host. And we had like, I had a foam wig. We all had foam wigs on. So it was pretty fun. And I had like a, I had like a, um, you know, I had a tuxedo, like a, like a, a black tuxedo with sparkles and uh you know i had like a a plum jacket and like a turtleneck it was it was really all the characters were really kind of fantastical but it was fun and it was the music it was an original musical so uh that that's something i did and um it was a lot of fun and it kind of reminds me of that uh, what we're talking about uh you so far you you are you are woven into an interesting fabric of a certain like a certain good part, a certain good time of LA, sort of like a, a bounce back for movies or going into the 90s you talk about. Um, you've talked about Deep Space. You've, I'm, I've seen your Facebook, I think it's DS9. You, you did some uh, Star yeah, Trek work? I did some work on, yeah, Deep Space Nine and Voyager and a couple of Star Trek movies. I was, I was a Borg. I was, nice. I was a Borg in First Contact. Well, I'll give you, I'll give you the... Um, Tell me, yeah, where are you in the Star Trek I'll universe? I'll give you the, uh, the, the arc of the... Uh, um, How'd you get there? You know, I, was a, I was sort of a, um, you know, I was sort of a, a, a walk-on Bajoran in Deep Space Nine. So there's a lot of episodes of Deep Space Nine where you'll see me, you may see me with hair, actually, mid-90s. Yeah. Some in the Bajoran, you know, the crinkle nose kind of deal. One Akira's foot soldiers. So, um, so that was, that was, it was amazing, amazing fun, you know, good times. And then um, they had a casting call for first contact. So I got cast in first contact. So I was one of the Borg with Alice Krieg and which was incredible. I'm still pinching myself. So that was 96. And then about a year later, Voyager started to, uh, they, they added the Borg into the series. They introduced the Borg. So a few of us, um, myself and another guy named Louis Ortiz, a buddy of mine, Louis and I went over and they used us on a number of episodes of Voyager. So that was, uh, that was unbelievable. So that kind of went till about 99, you know, here and there, a couple of episodes right. a year. And then, um, yeah, so I do conventions, you know, when, when, when the world's not shut down, I'll go to conventions. That's actually how I made it to Kansas City. Um, I made it to Kansas City twice. My first convention was in Kansas City, of all places. And, uh, pardon me? Oh, no, I'm just, I'm responding to it because yeah, no, no, it's like... So, yeah, no, love it, love it. I met so many cool people there. And then um, I was in Kansas City. I was in Topeka, Kansas twice like for a couple of conventions. And then I went back to, you know, one of the trips to Topeka, I was in Kansas City. So, um, yeah, so it was, uh, you know, it was, it was an incredible time. And, you know, just to, it's fun to kind of go, go to these conventions and revisit those memories with, um, with fans, you know, people that 
you know, love it. Man, you just meet the nicest people. So um, let's talk so about the makeup. What's that makeup like? Crazy, crazy. So we had a lot of 3 a.m. call times, 3, 3.30, 4 a.m. call times. And <clears throat> we're talking about how chilly L.A. is. But yeah, super chilly in the morning. <laughs> and, you know, about three hours of makeup. And then, you know, they put the eye on, they put your, you know, they put, they put the, the eye on and then they, they airbrush. And it's, um, so it's um, pretty extensive. And then they kind of streamline it to about two hours, maybe towards the end, maybe an hour and a half, two hours. But then um, there's a whole hour of putting in the suit. And in the old days, they would glue us into the suits with like crazy glue and have to, you had to use the, you know, the facilities, you'd have to be torn out of your suit and reglue. But they fixed that with a zipper eventually, which is, which was, <laughs> which was nice of them, which is nice of them. <laughs> so, in any They had to glue but, you in? Well, yeah, can, I ask, the thing, can I ask they, why? They were, well, no, because it was sort of like to keep, because there's all sorts of, you know, you got to step into the, you know, you're stepping in to like a whole thing and there's a back to it. So that's kind of open. So they just would seal it closed. All right. So, um, but the kind of coming full circle on this, maybe about, um, I don't know, about three months ago, I heard from my manager. I just heard from my manager saying, oh, you know, sign this paperwork and see on TV. And I was like, so I read and, Apparently, um, they've, you know, Picard, the new episode, the new TV show, Picard. Have you seen it? I've not seen any episodes of it, no. It just hasn't been available to me. Right, right, right. I've, I've seen a few, but in any event, they, 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 they wanted to use some, uh, I got this, this email from a, um, um, I got this message from an editor saying, Do, were you one of the Borg on First Contact? And he was trying to figure out who was in certain scenes in First Contact. So eventually they used the footage from First Contact for the new Picard episode, you know, and, and back in February. So out of the blue, they, they you know, they contacted me and, and pretty much maybe 10 guys that I haven't seen in 25 years, 24 years. And, so it's nice. So yeah, so we got a little work from Picard. Yeah, that's incredible. And I didn't have to, you know, the thing is, it was just basically, and when I say there were the flashbacks were like, like, I mean, there was one shot that was like maybe two seconds, but huh? you, you pretty much even have to slow down. You literally have to like keep pausing the episode to even see the shot. They use my shot for like, like that barely see it i don't think you can even see it it's almost like subliminal subconscious stuff but in any event i got paid for it so <laughs> it sort of came back like first contact just full circle so anyway very grateful very grateful and uh that is amazing yeah man so it's been like look it's i've met and the crazy thing about first contact is that i met so many I think about all the people I met during that period of my life. And I think about all the great times and memories, but one of my best friends, I don't see him much, but I ended up doing three films with him. 
my friend Derek Wingo is one of the makeup artists on First Contact. So we knew each other when we were new in town and great dear friend of mine, old dear friend. And I've done three movies with him. I've done, you know, he's directed a bunch of films. And we've worked together like, what, maybe um, one, two, three, yeah, four times now. So, but I mean, but I've made long lasting friendships with people, like lifelong friendships. Oh. Yeah, my buddy Louis lives in. I, I don't really see him. I don't see Louis anymore because he lives over in Thailand now. But, but you know, Louis is a, a great, great old friend. And you know, it's just so many great memories, man. It's just, and again, it's one of those things that when I got this call from Picard, I was like blown away and so grateful to, you know, to get some sort of a little bonus from the universe. You know, <laughs> yeah. little, just when little, yeah, a little, a little you know. A little piece of stardust from the galaxy, Star Trek dust, you know. Just Star when you need it, right? You know. Yeah, no, hundred percent, and it, it literally came around at like the time when the world shut down, like, you know. So, um, but anyway, man, it, and it's nice, like I said earlier, to, um, it's, it's really, it's really fun to meet when you go to conventions. It's really nice to meet, you know, fans because you know, they've seen all the stuff. I mean, they know the mythology and they've seen they've seen all this stuff and it's, you know, they're just the nicest people. So really passionate about Star Trek. How much do you have to know your mythology to be able to talk to them? Or do you just, or is it, you know, the funny thing is this, is that, I mean, I used to watch the original series growing up. Mm -hmm. Yeah. The time, you know, I was like young, you know, they were, they was already in syndication. So I used to, I watched the original series when I was a kid, but I never really watched a ton. Of, I mean, I would see Next Generation. I would see episodes here and episodes there, and you know. But I can't really claim that I've seen like every episode of Next Gen because I haven't. Because mm -hmm. I was in college when it was on. I mean, it was like it was on from like '87 to '94, I think. So I would see it on, and I'd watch it, and I knew the characters and knew, you know. So um, I mean, I know enough, but I'm not. I don't ever claim to be a star trek expert oh no because i'm because trust me i have gone to conventions and i've sat in i've sat in these sort of um, um panels like little little panels that they have where where it's a dis, it's a discussion between star wars and star trek and they're debating points and literally i sit there and i never felt so dumb in my life <laughs> um i'm just a dumb bored actor dumb actor like literally it's like well you know and they go so and so and they you know they invaded the airspace and and these guys are like fine and we're talking they know everything about star wars and everything about star trek and arguing the merits and the details and and i'm like guys listen do you have any questions about production or what it was like to be on the set. Do you want to hear stories? I got a bunch of them. And if you want to, I can regale you with those because I remember them very vividly. I remember almost every day on the set. Yeah. And, but, and what it was like and what we did and, and all that stuff. And I actually wrote an article, which um, for those of you listening, I wrote an article for Star Trek.com about six years ago on my experiences as the board on the set. And it's all about my, my experiences, you know, what it was like and 
how it, you know, how it influenced me and, and, you know, what the whole experience was like. So that was fun because it was, you know, actually had to put pen to paper and utilize my English degree. <laughs> that sweet, change. sweet in English degree. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So anyway, but, but it's, yeah, it's called, um, anyway, I'll, I'll send you a link, but it's, it's kind of fun. And I just tell some funny stories about, you know, you know, working on Voyager and what it was like and, you know, the soul train, they shot soul train, like when we were working on first contact or Voyager, one of the two, they shot soul train two sound stages over. So one day at lunch, we stuck on this, you know, this would never happen today, but this is pre nine 11. Um, we snuck on the soundstage and we all, you know, saw the, you know, Soul Train and the blocks. And it was fucking incredible. So we were, excuse my French, we were, um, pardon me, guys. Um, <laughs> you don't have to believe that? It's fucking okay. No. <laughs> so, um, yeah, so it, it was just incredible. It was, it was, you know, just we got up on the blocks and we were, you know, boogieing and on board, you know, in our Borg outfits. Anyway, so it's oh. just a lot of good. Great memories. Uh, so, was this uh, was this the Fox Studios, like over by Avenue of the Stars, Paramount. over the Century yeah, Paramount. Paramount Studios? Okay. Oh, so stage, stage fifteen, sixteen, and twenty-two. I think, I think, if my memory serves me. Yeah, wow. we had fun. We would try to get off the, you know, at lunch. We would try to walk across the street to Astro Burger, but they wouldn't let us because the costumes are property of Paramount. So yeah, but anyway. Can't even. But, uh, good times, man. Good times. So, uh, yeah, man. Just, I mean, it's every once in a while, like maybe a couple times a year, I might get some random note from somebody in Germany saying, hey, you know, could you sign this? And send me a picture of me as a board. That's rad, man. I, it's fun, man. Oh, man. It's fun. And you know what, man? The, the, the further and further I get away from it, it's, uh, it never becomes any less exciting and fun for me because I, Every once in a while, somebody will remind me of it. Somebody will say to me, like, hey, you know, you know, the Borg. And I'm, I'm thinking to myself, yeah, I did that. It was, it's, 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 it, put it this way. It's as surreal to me 24 years later as it was to me in 1996. I, I imagine. I mean, think about it. You are, I mean, albeit a small part, a memorable part by folks who really, really commit to the universe. And this is a universe that, was created. It's an artistic piece that just keeps on, I mean, even to this day, just keeps on growing and growing. And to be part of that and that it still pays off little dividends, you know, I mean, getting paid for Picard, if that, but just having somebody just recall you and remember you and go, you were that guy playing that part, which was, which was integral to the creators. That part was integral to creators. I mean, you got you got five years of good set time out of it and, and great memories, but that, that's the thing that I find important. You know, I mean, I don't need it. I don't, you know, you, you can have stardom and stars make those connections, but yeah. to know how actors are still acting and still working and may have worked back in the nineties, but still, still important, you know, still part of that universe is what I find fascinating. Yeah, that. well, no, thanks. I mean, look, you know, I mean, look, I'm very grateful. I mean, very, 
very grateful that I had that experience. And, you know, it's kind of funny. I've, I've ran into, uh, it's kind of maybe about six or maybe, maybe six, seven years ago, I was having lunch with a friend of mine and <laughs> Jonathan Frakes walked in the restaurant and he was with a bunch of guys. And I said to my friend, I was like, do you know who that is? And he was like, of course I know who it is. That's number one. That's Will Riker. So my friend said, so I just said, I said, I just turned, I said, Hey, Jonathan. And he looked, he looked across the room and he went, Patrick, Patrick Borg. <laughs> and it was like over in Los Feliz. It was on like uh, Tropicalia on Los Feliz, like right on there in Hillhurst there. Yeah. And you know, and this is no exaggeration. One of the nicest guys alive he is one of the nicest most charming guys on the planet patrick borg oh my god you know <laughs> a big hug and what's up man how are you and we we chatted and i said was my friend steve steve jonathan da, 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 da. and then we had a nice little catch-up which is so cool and this is like what like god, i haven't seen that guy in like 12 years I hadn't seen him since like I worked on Clock Stoppers with him, which was another movie he directed. And um, anyway, it was just so great. And he's anyway. So then, so then, and then he was eating lunch, and he's turning. At one point, he was like, he's like, guys, that that's my friend. That's my friend Patrick. He was one of my Borg. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, it was just one of those moments. You know, <laughs> you know it was just like just great to see him and. And like I said, he's he's one of the nicest guys alive. I remember him being on um, on the set of Clock Stoppers, which was like this Nickelodeon film with Michael Bean and Jesse Bradford, and we were shooting it like down in Downey or something. And um, the set was on a, in an airplane. It was like with the I guess the the soundstage was like an old Boeing hangar, and uh, this huge sort of hangar, and they built this sort of really elaborate like time machine with catwalks and stuff so i was like one of the security guards in a dark suit you know outside the elevator and he's and he can't he basically walked out and he he, he was he's such a joker you know he's, he's just it's just fun he would run he would run run in the middle of you know the, the sound stage and go now people now 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 <laughs> Is you know, that's <laughs> my invitation, and he goes, <laughs> he goes, no, he said I was never a good actor, but I was a loud actor, right, Patrick? Anyway, he's just fun. He's just a, <laughs> he's just a fun guy, you know what I mean? And we had a lot of good times, man. Just, just, you know. Anyway, but but yeah, I mean, again, don't, don't what you said. I appreciate what you said, but don't think for a second that I sort of acknowledge how grateful i am even oh like like even like all these years later because i'm reminded every once in a while by people who say oh you know hey you're boring and i've done other things but but it's in terms of just like interest you know like you worked on star trek and and it was just sort of um i never would have imagined you know who like like you said well you know you said earlier in the conversation you talked about like living in la and seeing movies and never you know, when you saw the Dresden Room, you never imagined that you'd be part of it. Like, a, a, you would go there, mm -hmm. or B, you would actually become like 
one of the Dresden singers. Like you're one of the cats, one of the Dresden cats. So it's sort of like the same thing, that experience, and it's very similar to the Star Trek experience that I never, you know, when I was a kid, I, I you know, I knew I wanted to be an actor or a singer, but yeah, you know, when I, when I got the gig and I'm working on the dish, you know, and first contact and, you know, and Worf blows us into, you know, it was just, it was, it was crazy. It was like, you know, so it's one of those things that I get to relive that, that, that excitement when I meet people, you know, when I go to a convention, I haven't been to one yeah. in a few years, but, but it's, it's, it's exciting and it's fun, you know. And, Were you working on anything before COVID hit acting wise? Was there? A... Um, no, no. I had done something um, like a year before called the DJZ, which was like a short film that my friend, I got a good buddy of mine who I went to high school with. We went to high school, same high school, different times, but yeah. he's Peter Paul Bassler. He's a director and uh, directed some cool stuff. And great guy. Um, he directed a short, uh, a sort of a zombie apocalypse thing called DJZ. So I was the DJ and it was about this sort of zombie apocalypse and I'm in a bunker and kind of broadcasting to the few remaining survivors. I see. It's a really fun little short. So that was, a th I did that about a year, you know, audition and stuff, but mainly up until the pandemic, I've been doing more music, but I did a film about, it's about five years ago now that we did it, but it came out like two years ago with Danny Trejo called The Lost Day. Danny Trejo and Billy Baldwin. And I played like Danny Trejo's side, uh, sidekick in that. Like his. Oh, man. That was, that was, that was another really exciting experience. I bet. You know, uh, I've spoken to a few people who have great Danny Trejo experiences who just walk away from it going, that was everything I expected it to be. <laughs> no, no, no. You know what? That's, that's really beautifully put because I'll never forget when I met, he was the coolest guy. And very, you know, and, he, and plus like, you know, I'd seen him in like so many movies. He's such a, he's such a sort of cultural icon, right? I mean, yes. Yeah, talk about like an, an LA icon, especially, you know, but what a, what a story, you know, what a, what a life story about, you know, kind of it's incredible it's an incredible life story very inspiring but in any event i remember like sitting with him in the bar and you know we met and, you know people come up to him on the set and one picture you know he takes pictures with that he's the nicest guy in the world he's the sweetest guy in the world mm -hmm. just um and this is right before trejo's tacos took off and all that right when it was launching right but, um, but i remember like you know being in the bar with him and we're talking, the scene was like, he was talking about like being in the prison yard. So we, we play prison, we play prison guards. <laughs> and he was like, yeah, you know, and sorry about that. So he's like, yeah, you know, we're in the yard and you know, so-and-so that, you know, that loser, man. And we're going to wait till everybody's, you know, in the mess hall and then we're going to move. And I'm like listening, <clears throat> you know, and I'm playing like, you know, the other bad guy. <laughs> most of the scene is in him talking and I say a few things and I count the money it's in this kind of like you know this bar and I'm listening to him talk and I'm like wow like, this is not pretend <laughs> this is, so we're, we're sitting and I'm listening to him and I'm like holy shit like I can't believe I'm here right now so I'd have to like snap back into it right 
because like for a moment I was like watching and listening to him, but then I'd have to, I'd have to, you know, focus again and be like, no, I'm, I'm, I'm in the prison with him because we're, we're these killers or whatever. Uh-huh. But anyway, it was, uh, it was incredible. And he was like on the break, he was like, he was, saw a picture of the Hells Angels. He goes, oh yeah, I rode with the Hells Angels last year. I'm like, whoa, right. <laughs> yeah, the, the Hells Angels, but, but, but yeah, we, we just, we, there's two days like with, with him. And then we, we had to like, there's one scene in like a scrap yard where like we dispose of a body or something. Yeah, we basically we're disposing of a body in a trunk in a scrapyard and trust me the scrapyard looked like we you could have found some bodies in the scrapyard because it was <laughs> the real deal south carolina so so you know we're, we like open the the trunk like pop the trunk and you know you never see the dead body it's just implied you know but um you know i'm like hey man you gotta you know you gotta you gotta you know you gotta get rid of this you know here's some money and he's like hey nice job man you know get a, get a wipe the, get a wipe the car for prince or whatever so uh, anyway, anybody who's interested, it's called Lost Day. Billy Baldwin's in it. John James from Dynasty's in it. But then, and this is like a couple takeaways. But we, he told lots of great stories about Robert Rodriguez. And, you know, and, and then one day I said to him, I was like, Danny, I was like, so what, what's, you know, I know you were cha- he was a championship boxer in prison. So I said, what's your, what's your punch? What was your punch? It's a right, you know, it's a right. It's a right cross and then a right cross and then a, and then a hook. And I'm like, you mean like this? And he goes, no, together. So he was showing me like his punch. <laughs> incredible. And then, you know, it's, it's just so many laughs and we had a good time and he would like be on the set and he was like, where's my goddamn latte? Where's my latte? <laughs> where's my latte? And everyone started laughing and he's just, you know, cause he's like the most, he's the most humble guy on the planet, but a really terrific guy, but what a life. And, uh, and then we were shooting a scene and um, it was a scene where like we're meeting these guys and they call off the hit, you know, so in the back kind of a, a dark park, a dark uh, um, parking lot. And he was, he said, you know, you know, you want to, you want to tell you to shut up because it, another character in the, in the scene told me to shut up. He goes, you want to tell him to shut up when he tells you to shut up? I said, yeah. And he goes, when he tells you to shut up, I want you to look at him. I want you to look him like you're going to eat him. it's literally quote unquote i want you to i want you to look at him like you're gonna eat him (laughs) (laughs) so wonderful guy wonderful guy and then i saw him at trails tacos a couple months later but we had a great time and that was a lost day uh, yeah anyway i'm babbling uh, well, I want to talk to you. I want to ask you, as somebody who is a recording artist, walk me through that whole process. How long did the whole concept to recording to release of an album like Sway take? Because this, it sounded like you had more hands on deck because it was a bigger band. So, yeah, so how did, well, how did, that, how did I, Sway I, all I, come about? I've been thinking about this for years. I mean, for I mean, for years we've been kind of angling and sort of planning and you know it was always an idea I always wanted to do a big band album I always wanted it I always always told myself like I want to do a big band record just you know it was a bucket list item the first album was a trio album 
and we did one track with horns. But I was like, you know what? I really want to do a big band record. Yeah. Because I've always loved big band music. Classic Sinatra, Tony Bennett, Bobby Darren stuff. So, and um, so, yeah, so it was probably like late 17. You know, I started to kind of plan it. I recorded a couple singles and stuff. And um, um, yeah, so, so I reached out to Paul McDonald, who's a very well-known band leader in Los Angeles. And uh, sort of a friend of a friend, and we knew each other. And I said, hey, I'm putting, I want to put this, this album together, and I would love to, you know, would you like to work with it? You know, would you like to work with me on it? And he said, yeah, I'd love to. So we started workshopping the songs at the union, just kind of going through songs. We did that for about two or three months, maybe. We, we, we had probably like a good 10 rehearsals. And then, um, yeah, and then we were just all set. And then he got the band together because he works with the best players in L.A., and uh, we got, the, you know, we picked the songs. I know I wanted to do Sway and I had some other tunes I wanted to do. I, I pr probably had about six or maybe, I remember like six or seven songs that I knew I wanted to do. And then um, um, got the band together, you know, booked the studio. And then I had a knee injury. I hurt myself. Remember that? Yeah. You remember remember being off your feet? Me, I wasn't at the Dresden for months and they came in on crutches. So, um that was uh, was crazy. It was not fun. It was brutal. So um, I had, we were all set to record, and then uh, like literally like oh, two weeks away, and then I blew my knee out. So I had to attend to getting my knee fixed instead of recording. Oh, shit. So um, so anyway, so that delayed us for about three months, and then um, rehab got back on my feet, and then uh, the guys are really understanding and. Um, uh, we recorded maybe like in, I guess, October, November. And, uh, you know, the big band, it was just, it was such a trip, such a, such a thrill to be in a studio. We recorded the East West Studios where, which is the United, the old, um, I believe it's the old Western Recorders, which is, uh, I think it's Western Recorders. Sinatra built it with Bill Putnam and recorded yeah. there and really everybody. I mean, Sinatra and Dean Martin and Sammy and, I mean, all the greats recorded there. Wow. So it's just, yeah. And actually the studio where we recorded, they, um, that, I think they recorded That's Life in there with Frank. That room. It's got the original panels. Anyway, so it's just, yeah. it's just amazing, man. So, but subsequently I'd written a song called ACL Blues because of my knee injury. So I was inspired to write this tune because I was so miserable when I was laid up and... <clears throat> I was like, I gotta, you know, I gotta put a funny spin on this so I don't really, you know, so I can kind of create something out of all this depression. So I wrote, I wrote ACL Blues with Paul McDonald, and um, yeah, so we recorded it, and uh, we recorded the vocals at Capitol, which was unbelievable. And um, was that your first experience at Capitol Records, or had yeah, you? Yeah, yeah, I'd never been in there before. Wow. And I'd driven past it for years. Yeah for years and uh you know and i never really kind of never imagined i'd ever get in there but I'd, i've known a couple people that had recorded there like our buddy matt forbes oh yeah maddie q ladies and gentlemen the canadian hey guy. shout out to matt forbes our good buddy matt oh yeah uh, matt had recorded a capital so i talked to matt about it and i knew he had recorded there um i think i think his i think maybe his first two albums but anyway um 
and then I'd known some people years back, you know, somebody else that had recorded in there. And, but uh, yeah, so, we, you know, he, he said, like, hey, man, you should think about Capital. And so I got in there and I met, you know, the people over there and they were, they were phenomenal. It was just a, it was one of those, another pinch me moment. Pinch me moment. What, uh, what's the biggest challenge when it comes to be, I imagine you're producing your own record. You're, you're, you're the executive producer of your own, of your own album here. What's your biggest challenge that you face doing this? Um, Just the second time around, I guess. Yeah, you know, the biggest challenge is, um, I don't know, there's just a lot of moving parts, you know. I think that's the biggest thing is that, you know, from selecting the songs to, you know, kind of figuring out the orchestrations, you know, and, you know, and, and Paul did the arrangements, but, you know, we kind of, we worked together on the ideas of the song, right? So I was like, well, this yeah. is kind of what I'm imagining for this, and we actually co-arranged ACL Blues, which was a lot of fun. So I kind of did a little arranging there. Um, but um, yeah, there's just a lot of moving parts. When you're producing your own record, you know, you got to hire the musicians and um, you have to, uh, there's a lot, there's a lot going on. You don't really, uh, um, you know, I think when people hear, hear an album, you know, it just, it's finished, right? It's a finished product. And, you know, you might read the liner notes and see, see all the production credits, but when you're kind of doing everything your own on your own, you've got to, you know, when you're in the studio, you got to make sure that, you know, you're there on time and, you know, musicians have what they need. And, and I was really lucky because Paul, you know, Paul was the band leader. So, you know, Paul was, was, um, was pretty much in charge of the band. So he basically made the calls to the band and, uh, no. you know, and, and you know, and I, I I had met a few of the guys beforehand, but uh, yeah, I mean, Paul made a call to the band and, you know, and we had the, you know, the arrangements and Damon Tedesco mixed it. He's amazing. Um, one of the big mixers in town. He's kind of a house mixer at 20th Century Fox. Great guy too. Um, so um, we were, I was just really lucky to have great people. And, but I think on the day, you know, you just, you're worried about everything. So you're not only worried about like, you know, you've got the studio for X amount of time, but you've got to get, 10 songs in so you have your rhythm section and your your big band and then you've got you know then you got to think about like oh yeah i got I lunch i gotta order lunch <laughs> like I gotta, you know, it's these things i know well, it's yeah. like making a film right yeah right? same thing it's sort of like you know it's sort of like you know when you're you know you're you know i didn't have any pas you know i mean it's sort of like you know paul was paul was the band leader and producer right so he was my ears and also the band leader. Uh -huh. So we were, I was so blessed to have him because he's phenomenal and amazing piano player as well. But, you know, you got to think about these things like, okay, okay, we got to feed these guys. I got to order this meal. And then I've got the band coming in. Do I have enough coffee made? And do I have, you know, snacks for the breaks? Mm -hmm. So I've been in that world before. I've been in that world before. I've been in that world before. Like that, like having like production management down and being able to take care of your your artists. I understand that. So I mean, even thinking on that sort of microbial level of do I have enough coffee is <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. So, make or break day on set or in the studio. I'm sure. Oh well, yeah, yeah. So exactly. So anyway, so it's um, it was just uh, you know. It was, a, it was a really tremendous experience and um, it's kind of bizarre. It's kind of crazy to make them too, but uh, we had a, you know, we had a, we had a, we were really lucky to have the, I mean, the best players, man. I mean, just, 
you know, like Dwayne Benjamin on trombone, who's worked with Marvin Gaye and Gladys Knight and Aretha Franklin and Bijan Watson and on trumpet, who's worked with everybody and the nicest guys too. Jake Reed on drums and Cooper Appelt and Ricky Z. I'm trying to think. Jeff Jarvis, who's another giant on trumpet and um, yeah, I mean, just, you know, Rusty Higgins, who was telling stories during the session about Bob Hope playing Bob Hope specials. <laughs> wow. Just, just, you know, the guys that, you know, and, and the greatest, um, you know, Paul on piano and then Stefan Oberhoff produced it. Anyway, it was just, um, it was unbelievable. So two years, it's crazy. It's two years, man. It's nuts. It's nuts. And, um, and we had um, really, really blessed that KJ has, you know, KJ has played, is playing us for a while now and just again so grateful to them and i so yeah i remember when i heard you on k jazz i was driving i was driving around and next up patrick burnett and sway <laughs> and then all of a sudden got to hear it i think I, I think i may have seen you at the at the club that night but no again man just very thank you know just surreal you know just kind of because i remember you know 20 years ago like you know our first album, we were trying to get our album on the KJS 20 years ago. And, uh, you know, and, and so it was just uh, very, um, like I said, very blessed and very, very grateful to them. And um, yeah, man, so so it was it was exciting, you know, and, and it's nice, you know, that, you know, it's nice that some people have been enjoying it. And that's all you can hope for when you make something or you're in a play or you're doing a movie that, you, you know, people can enjoy it on some level. So that's, that's why we do it. Well, I got to tell you, thank you very much for talking to me today. Do you have any final words, anything we didn't cover, anything you want to plug? Yeah, like yeah, yeah. So I'm going to plug this um, because um, I'm really excited. I'm doing a Rat Pack show. Oh, yeah. Doing a Rat Pack show in August. I'm doing a couple shows. On December 11th, I'm going to be in Palm Springs. At Frankie's back room, I'm doing a virtual concert there. And then two days later, I'm doing a Rat Pack show. Uh, it's a tribute to the Rat Pack show at the California Center for Performing Arts, which they're not doing any shows now. But um, um, they're, uh, they're, they're, all the shows are outdoors now. They're at Cal State uh, San Marcos. So it's a drive-in show. And uh, with a phenomenal big band, Dwayne Benjamin, who I mentioned earlier, Mm -hmm. uh, Dwayne Benjamin is um, is uh, musical director and phenomenal band and um, yeah so I'm I am gonna be uh, in this Rat Pack tribute. It's not really a Rat Pack show; it's a tribute show to the music of the Rat Pack. And I'm I'm sharing the bill with none other than our good friend Matt Forbes. Oh, awesome! Oh, that's Matt, great. Yeah, so we're sharing the bill with. There's a couple of other guys. Um, there's a, um, Michael Washington and Jordan Cavanaugh, phenomenal singers. These guys. Oh, and, I mean. uh, and Matt and Matt. So we're doing this show on December 13th, 7 p.m. Um, I'll send over the link, but it's going to be a lot of fun. I'm really excited. We're, we're all singing a couple of tunes and a couple of group numbers. So I'm plugging that. But besides that, you can find Sway on Spotify, Apple Music. Um, Amazon, you can even Shazam it. Shazam will find me. Oh, yeah. Wherever I am. <laughs> and, uh, um, yeah, what else? Um, 
that's about it yeah and uh you know if you guys want to follow me on social media um, you know it's my name on instagram patrick barnett and then facebook is patrick barnett live there you go that's awesome tom listen man i want to say this to you before we sign off i appreciate you miss you buddy been too long likewise good to see you and uh really have enjoyed the mad libs thank you we'll keep them coming yeah, really enjoy the Mad Libs. Um, you put a smile on my face more than once over the last seven months. Oh. And I uh, appreciate you reaching out, man. I was really looking forward to this. And uh, thanks for having me on, man. Me too. Me too. Thank you very much for taking the time to talk to me. And you know what? It was everything I expected. I knew that you had great stories and that you created great relationships. So thanks for sharing all of this good stuff tonight. Man, my pleasure, man. Guys, be well. Stay safe. Tom, you take care. Another wonderful episode, Lucky 13. I want to thank my guest, Patrick Barnett. Thank you so much for all the lovely compliments. Thanks for the validation. And thanks for your inspiration. You are a wonderful guest. You're a good buddy. Glad to know you. Listen to Patrick Barnett's album, Sway. You can find that on Spotify and iTunes. Visit all of his social media. Become a new fan of Pat. And speaking to my fans, the Velveteers, velvetom.com. Visit the website, visit all my social media, become a big fan, go to my YouTube page, become a subscriber, donate to the show so we can keep the Velvet Lounge open. I really, really appreciate you all. Uh, Next week, another episode, probably another singer from Singer's Row. I don't know. We're going to see who's available. We're doing this in as real time as we can to bring you fresh, fresh content. What else can I tell you? The holidays are coming up. Time to pump the brakes on the contempt. Time to increase our gratitude. Show each other that we love each other by wearing masks and socially distance. Please, let's not get grandma sick over Thanksgiving. The best thing that you can do with your relatives and considering after this election is probably to steer clear of them. That is the best gift that you can give them. I love you so much. Stay happy, stay healthy, stay away from one another, and most important, stay velvet.